Disclaimer. Assassins is a dark show that deals with dark themes, some of which you may find disturbing. Also, the recording features numerous gunshots, some of which I've included. If any of these things bother and or trigger you, I will understand if you take a break and rejoin the original cast in August. I hope you enjoy this deep dive into a show I consider to be one of the best musicals ever written. All right, here's the show. Previously on the original cast. My guest today is an equity stage manager in the D.C. metro area. It's Karen Curry, everybody. Hello. And you chose... Assassins. Everybody's got the right... We meet John Wilkes Booth. Damn you, Lincoln, you had your way. Boy. Giuseppe Zangaro. Tanto Miami, que rosa belt. Dola! Gun song. All you have to do is crook your little finger. And then we have the Ballad of Sholgosh. Sholgosh, working man. God, we're getting into some stuff here, Karen. This we is are. Good. This is we good. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. When is, well, now we get, I mean, there's two big monologues in this show, both from Sam Bick. Now, Sam Bick. Oh, Sam Bick. Sam Bick played in the show by Lee Wilkoff, uh, in this production, I should say. Uh, he, yes. As I say, he was the... And, and played uh, in 2004 by Mario Kento. Yes, in a very different uh, portrayal, <laughs> yes. I will say. Uh, Lee Wilkoff, you, you may know, uh, the music theater boss will know him as Seymour, the original Seymour, Seymour. in Little Shop of yes. Horrors. He is miles away from that now, in this production, I mean. Um, and Sam Bick in real life... Um, was famous for a co- like a few things, not even really, just a few things we know he did. One of them was protest the White House in a Santa Claus costume. So he spends the whole show in the Santa Claus costume. Yes. Um, the other was send long, rambly, taped messages to celebrities. To famous people. Right. Yes. And the, f- the first one we get is Bernstein, is Leonard Bernstein. Um, and the second one we get a little later, just to hop ahead a second, is who is he talking to? Uh, Dick. Dick Dick Nixon. Oh, he's talking to Nixon. Okay. Right. And but then but then he references um he references several of the other people uh, Yeah, the tapes he the sent. Tapes yes, he does he at sent, one point rattle right? them off. Yeah. This is uh, Jonas Salk, Jack Anderson, Hank Aaron. There yeah, you go. those are people That's he's it. sent it yeah. to. I just happened to flip to that. And it is I mean it's a very well-written monologue. It's really funny to me though that these it, there was the decision made to leave these as monologues. Um, yes. Which is, I think, a structural decision to give each character one song and one song only. Because um, his song's coming later. And it, But I, it's funny. I mean, it, from what I know about how Sondheim's, Sondheim's process and how he thinks musicals should be written, and it, it's all I have to go on, is this idea that the book gets completed first and then a song is written to replace dialogue. Well, yeah, it was very interesting. One of the, again, in my mm-hmm. yes, no. fabulous book here, um, he talks about the fact that usually he gets, um, he'll get the book and then fill in, mm-hmm. um, but or pull or replace things. Yeah. Um, but that it took him so long to craft the opening sequence. Yeah. And it's unclear to me whether that means the opening sequence of both the the um, come on and kill a president mm-hmm. number and booth or just the opening number mm-hmm. um, that by the time he finished that um, Weidman had finished the the book. Oh, okay. And so he sent it to him and he, and, and he's like, you know, neither one of us paid attention to the fact that we weren't 
comparing information Mm -hmm. yet. Um, And then he got the book and he realized, oh, no, he hasn't been sending me things because he's been on this streak Mm -hmm. and he's he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what the structure is Um, and that he got to the end, which we'll get to. Yes. um, (laughs) uh, And realized that's what was driving him Mm -hmm. is trying to understand that act Mm-hmm. Is what drove him in everything. In every, that, yeah, everything's everything pointing that in that direction. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it is yes, yes, and we will get there. The yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is this because I mean, we'll say we're you know we're we're on scene nine at this point. There um, are twelve, sixteen, sixteen. How many scenes? Seventeen. Seventeen's the finale. So yeah, so I mean, we're 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 halfway through, and. There are noticeable historical gaps. I mean, this sort of we've been hopping around. It It does a really nice job, though, of hopping around in time so much that you may not notice what we've missed, missed. which is Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, we'll just bring that out, that that there's been no mention, presence or anything of the Kennedy assassination. Right. Um, Which I will say, as somebody who was, I mean, I was 13 when I first heard the show, I didn't notice because it wasn't a historical event that had a personal resonance with me. Yeah, I sort of had a feeling it was coming. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you're right. Because you bounce around in time so much, you're not recognizing that we're going to either side of that. Right. That where, I mean, where we are at any given moment. Because now we're right. in the 70s, you right. know, firmly. Right. Where we've been a couple. It's funny. Most of the 70s scenes are book scenes. I'm not because you have the Sarah Jane Moore. Right. Squeaky from scenes. Right. And the Sam Bick and scenes Sam are Bick all book all scenes. Book yeah. Scenes. Nothing. And he's... Giving this long, I mean, it's also funny that Sondheim has, or, or Weidman has him sing selections from West Side Story. <laughs> I know. <laughs> just two little lines here and there, um, which is just, which is a joke, I will admit, I did not get when I was this age. Oh, of course. And then later went, oh, I get it. And then we have, I mean, there's, another, there's a musical, two book scenes in a row here. This right. book scene, though, short book scene goes right into Unworthy of Your Love. Wind and water and sky. Jody, tell me, Jody, how I can earn your love. I would swim oceans, I would move mountains, I would do anything for you. What do you want me to do? I am unworthy of your love. Jody, Jody, let me prove worthy of your love. Tell me how I can earn your love, set me free. How can I turn your love to me? Which may be the most famous song yes. from the show, the one that gets performed. Yes. The yes. most, and the one that you can most easily, I think, remove from this show. Yes, and it and, and it, it works. It works. Yeah, wor- yeah it, as a it love works, song. It works in other environments. Yeah, in a way that nothing else. You could put this in a cabaret and be like, yes. "Oh, what's that sweet little love song from?" It's like, well, <laughs> sit down. Right. Uh, we're gonna have a conversation because this is where the issue, and this is also a theme that we've been kind of that has been the show has been circling is this issue of of killing for celebrity attention. Yes. In uh, that we've been, we were circling a little bit with Shulgash 
And then we circle it again with Sam Bick talking to Leonard Bernstein. And now here we are with the two people who overtly did what they did for some kind of celebrity attention. Right. Squeaky Frome for Charles Manson and John, John Hickley Hinkley for Jodie Foster. Foster. And Frome, I mean, I think wanting to have, I mean, it does, obviously, it's deranged, but it is that clear line. I like her clear line of logic that she later presents of saying, It's like it'd be a trial and Charlie would get to be a witness and he'd be on TV and he'd save the world. Obviously, none of that would have happened, even if she had been right. successful in killing Gerald Ford. Right. But uh, it's, yeah, and this is this interesting. Now, this is where I start to get problematic with, with Squeaky From to me. Because this scene, I mean, this is another example of going to see something with my parents at, in, like, high school and being very uncomfortable with well, the subject matter that's yes. being discussed. Because it is, a, I mean, it's a contrast between Squeaky From knew Charles Manson. She was in the family. Right. They had uh, the relationship that he had with all the women in the family, or at least most of them. And it is, you know, it is an explicit relationship. And she loves him in a very overt way. And contrasted with Hinckley, who is much more impotent and indecisive, as you said. And that distinction is drawn out. Pretty, pretty distinctly. Yeah. But in a way that I find, I don't know if it's... It's so funny. I was about to say it's unfair to her, but how fair do we need to be to something? Like it's this is this is worth <laughs> like this well, is the and thing. and I think I think it's it, what's interesting to me is that she's she's right there with him until she realizes that the picture yeah is from the movie studio yeah. and then she's like, oh, dude, you did this, yeah, <laughs> you, th- no, yeah. no, no, yeah, we're done, yeah. Which is funny because <laughs> I remember sitting. I mean, in the scene. He shows her an autographed picture of Jodie Foster, which has a letter written on it. And I kind of remember thinking, I mean, it had me in that moment of being like, oh, did that? Because you can imagine a movie studio or somebody being so naive as to be like, write this. this Miss Foster, please sign this. And like sending it off to a fan. Right. And then, I mean, obviously then they discover he did it by himself. And it, you know. Right. I did actually in a moment, in that moment, feel, oh, good. Oh, thank God. Like I didn't, you know. Right. Jodie Foster's role in this was purely as somebody who was on a screen and he's yes. down here on earth doing yes. whatever he's doing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty, I cannot imagine what her life was, what this did to her uh, life. Know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's amazing to me that she is, as she, I'm sure she has her own issues that she's as stable as she is as a, right. someone who's a child actress who then right. had this happen to her. As her career was becoming I mean, more and more more serious and more ser- yes, being an adult yes. and, and all that and, and just yeah I can't even imagine what because Hinckley is is a I mean it what he did was is is horrifying inexcusable and everything but he is the most pitiful of all the the characters in this show I think would you agree with that Yes yeah I would mm-hmm. I would um, and I th- I think he's probably the sickest Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I mean, I think, um, I mean, Gateau is pretty sick. But, <laughs> um, Gateau is pretty sick. But Gateau yeah. is, Gateau is delusional. Mm-hmm. And, and Hinckley, while delusional, I think has some more serious problems as well. And, yeah. I mean, it's that, it's know. the, well, and it is the sort of, I mean, of course, the dark irony of it being Jodie Foster that he's infatuated with is his own relation to Travis Bickle um, in Taxi Driver. I mean, his right. own, it's the same kind of lone, lonely, quiet, 
guy who's got problems that aren't being dealt with right. at all. Right. And it is the scariest or what was sort of the scariest incarnation of, of the American dream that we, we had. And I mean, Guiteau, I think you say, might be actually like, I don't know if these things are measured on a scale, <laughs> yeah, right. but right. have more problems than Hinckley. But he was much more overt. You could sort of see Guiteau coming. Right. In his sort of grandiosity and his loud right. personality. Right. You know, this is, I mean, Hinckley is the quintessential example of it's the quiet ones you have to watch. Well, and, and what do we know? And, you know? you know, and I hear stories about, about Hinckley and his um, uh, day passes and his. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, his furloughs. And, and yeah. his furloughs and his times out and, and the, you know, the people around who, who say, oh, he's saying and doing what he needs to do to get the furloughs. Right. You know, and and I and mean, we don't who knows know what their right. what their specific situation is, and mm-hmm. I, nobody's going to know except him and his doctors. And, right. Um, and really, just him. I mean, but, at the end of the day, you can't read another right. man's soul, so it's, right. it's 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 yeah. But there's something about it that is um, arresting. Yeah, and it is. You I know? mean, and a lot of it's in the song. I mean, in in unworthy of your love, it is a it's a very sweet song, and sad and. Terrible. I mean, it's all those things. It's really a song, like I say, you take it out of context and it's kind of nice. You can almost imagine those two people singing to each other. Right. And then, but in context, it's startling. Yes. And scary. I mean, in a very real, and then, I mean, it's that also that thing of like, another example of of the assassin not getting what they want. You know, Hinckley does it for positive attention from a celebrity and ends up getting mocked. Yes. By the celebrity stand-in, which is Frome on stage. Right for being unsuccessful because then we go right from this song i mean then he leaves the stage squeaky from stays on stage because now we're going to get into the assassination of ford i mean we really start to ramp up here in this sort of like the pace kind of gets a little bit more intense and oh no no she doesn't stay. oh no i'm sorry she you're right stay. no 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 we go oh you're right it's a sarah jane, sarah jane Arden Arden and and guiteau which i totally forgot Gateau. about Hits on Sarah Jane Moore trying to teach her how to how to shoot, yeah, how to shoot, and says, um, "Yeah, yeah, don't you want to be uh, the wife, wife of, of the, the ambassador, ambassador to, to France?" France. <laughs> Gateau is a really, I have to say, of all the assassins, Gateau probably gets the best like portrayal <laughs> in this show because all I know about him, which is mainly from Sarah Val's excellent book, Assassination Vacation, mm-hmm. um, he was pretty like. He was loud and boisterous, but not in a fun no. way. Like in the play, he's exuberant and it's kind of fun, and then it goes well, dark. Well, but I think, but I think he also he's he's, I mean, he's the one who points the gun at the audience, and he's yes, the he one is. who turns on a dime, and you mm-hmm. know, he says, "Give me a kiss," and she says, "No," and he he flips out and says, "No, I want a kiss." Yeah. You know, um, so he's he's the one that turns on a dime. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he was it, the funny thing I know about him from Sarah Val's book is that he was at the Oneida colony in New York. And as she describes him as he's he couldn't get laid in a free love colony. And it's just like, <laughs> you can imagine what your personality must have been like. And because it, it, it's true. I mean, the, also the actor who plays him, Jonathan, Jonathan Hateray or Hadray. It's a very good-looking, like dashing-looking guy, and in, well, yes, and, and the actual Gateau is not um, a good-looking guy. I think it was Dennis O'Hare. In yeah, and it was Dennis O'Hare. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, um, series of, of so. you know dashing gentlemen uh, playing this guy who was kind of goofy-looking, but who then I mean he teaches obviously Sarah J. Moore how to shoot, and then immediately uh, assassinates 
um, James Garfield, who is the first president we see. Am I correct about that? Yes. Yeah, he's the first time we actually have a yes. president on stage. He shot him historically. As we, I mean, most of these take place in this very city that we sit right yes. now. Yes. <laughs> and he shot him at the old Baltimore Railroad Station, which was which is on the mall, um, which is no longer there. I think it's where Smithsonian Castle is now, unless I'm mistaken. Shot him in the back. Uh, probably wouldn't have killed him if it wasn't for his doctors, uh, right. as is often the case in the late 19th century. Right. Digging around in there for the bullet for days and days. He lingered for a very long time. Very long time. I think for... Yeah, no, I just saw... I just saw um, uh, a documentary about Garfield's death and that, yeah. that it really was absolutely what happened with the doctors that yeah. killed him and that an infection you know, and, they, yeah. an infection set in and then they wouldn't treat the infection and right and then he um, died and then and it was yeah. like am I correct in that he was shot in 1881 and died in 1882 am I right yes. about yeah okay <laughs> yes I mean it was interminable like and yeah. and and uh, his wife was doing everything that he she could to um, uh, distract people from the fact that the president was not actually well. Right. Um, and because what I mean, did did I mean, basically ran the country like. Right. Well, because there was still you know, no, I mean, there was still no 25th Amendment. There was no no, no clear line of succession. No, and, no, no. And, you know, yeah. Tyler had become president after William Henry Harrison died in office. That was the first one. And there was still a lot of confusion as to whether Tyler was like actually president or not during his tenure. And, you know, it had just sort of assumed the vice president would take over, but there was no question about when. Right. So he actually had to be dead in order for him to take Because the funny thing is, historically, it's not in the play, historically, Garf- uh, Gateau shoots Garfield and sc- yelled, Arthur is president now, but he wouldn't be president for like another six, six months. months. Yeah. <laughs> right. <it's> just, <laughs> right. <laughs> these tweaks of history that are so... And then we have our third ballad and... and a great one, the Ballad of Guiteau. Charlie Guiteau never said never or heard the word no. Faced with disaster, his heart would beat faster, his smile would just grow. And he'd say, Look on the bright side, look on the bright side, sit on the right side of the Lord. If this is the land of opportunity, he is the lightning, you his sword. Wait till you see tomorrow, tomorrow you'll get your reward. You can be sad or you can be president, look on the bright side. I am going to the Lordy. As yes. he cakewalks up the up Cakes, the scaffold. Cakes up the scaffold, and this is the other moment that um, pulled me out of my seat. Oh, um, really? Is is when the when the body drops? Yeah. Okay. Um, See, now when I saw it, it was just, it was a they had a I'm sure it was a short drop, like a trick yeah. trick scaffold, because they black out just as he's falling and they play the sound effect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I knew it was oh, coming because yeah. no, it's on the no, recording. No, in 2004, he went. They... He he went all the way up. He disappeared into the into the rafters, mm-hmm. and then and then oh, and, and they... then a body dropped. Oh God! Yeah, yeah, and and you got and swung a swung. Well, it's, I mean, the recording, I mean, the, the recording, body swings. The, yeah, the swing, the recording, the body swings for a long time. Yeah, and it it. I mean, and it, silence except for I this would imagine. S- well, because it is probably also like the happiest song. Yes. In the show, without yes. without question. I mean, yes. it is this, and it's a. I mean, and it's based on reality. He did really write. He wrote himself a, a song, song yeah, which is performed on. If you if you get the audio rec- uh, book of Assassination Vacation, she has someone. I can't remember the actor perform 
more of a recitation. He asked for an orchestra and they refused him. Well, I can't imagine why. <laughs> I mean, so, talk about not wanting to give somebody the attention yeah, they deserve. Right. All this guy <laughs> wanted was attention. That right. seems to like literally be his only desire in life. Um, or even, I don't know, recognition even? I guess recognition was what he would yes. say, but it's he yes. just wants attention. And Yes, yes. And really thought he was going to be ambassador to France. Right, for no reason. He wrote this right. book, which... I don't know what it's called. It apparently was largely plagiarized, and he believed it was the reason that Garfield was elected, and therefore believed and he therefore should be appointed. Should be, yes. he believed he'd been told he would be appointed ambassador to France. Yes, uh, which of course none of that is true. Uh, right. And he um, then he right. killed Garfield because of it. Uh, right, yeah. and had made several attempts to get in to see Garfield before. Yeah, and uh, and, and it hadn't and, gone well. And uh, right. <laughs> been turned away and so therefore was going to approach him at the train station and then right and demand and demand and then he just shot him yeah yes. yeah i mean it's and it's, it's a fun it, it is a really good it's a good song and a good it's scene it's a great song yeah and yeah. it is the um, i mean it does contain one of my like three favorite sondheim lyrics which is, look on the bright side not on the sad side inside the bad side something's good and it's just <laughs> such a like you know, it's it's up there with Into the Woods where she, with a baker's yes. wife says, you may know what you uh, want, but to get what you need, need better see that you keep what you have. have. It yes. is such a like, yes. it's a, and I, I think Sondheim uses the balladeer as an excuse to get very kind of loquacious in moments, which oh, is sure. great sure. Uh, and that are very fun. But um, you have, I mean, Guiteau being, I do also like the moments of pause as he ascends, he cake walks up the scaffold, but there's always these moments like a built in reality yes. striking him that he is going to die and yes. he does sort of have H- to have his moments. steal himself right. again. Yeah. Right. Um, right. And uh, yeah, he's going to the Lordy. <laughs> he is so glad. <laughs> right. Gosh. Um, oh, you know, man. look on the a... bright side, you'll be remembered. I you but know? then, of course, I mean, it's that weird <laughs> irony of the fact that, again, here's a successful assassin, one of our four, and he really isn't. Right. He's not remembered, at least not by name. It is this funny, yeah. he's forgotten to history. Well, and I think, I I, I mean, I think probably be, partially because it took him so long to die that Garfield isn't always remembered as right. someone who was He has a street in the city. They gave, he's one of the presidents who has a street. So. It's not that far from here at American <laughs> University, actually. And it's, yeah, he, well, he was also president for so short a time. And, right. And president at a time when we didn't have a whole lot going on as a country. So he isn't, I mean, except for the fact that he was assassinated, he would probably not be remembered at all. I right. mean, it is that sort of, you know. Right. Um, and his successor, Chester Allen Arthur, isn't also so very really well, well remembered. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a weird amorphous period in American history. It's just a bunch of white guys with beards, you know, and, and they're all kind of interchangeable and, right. and life just kind of drifted on until we get to, to I mean, this is the post-Civil War pre-McKinley kind of era. Right. Um, yeah. Guiteau is a fascinating individual to me, but in a way that I don't, like, unlike Sarah Jane Moore, who piques my interest a lot, like, I really want to know what was going on with her. I don't need to know anymore about Guiteau. No, I feel no, like I got No, I feel him. like I got what's going on with him. Yeah. Um, and, um, and again, to me, feels, at least in this iteration, the one who was the most ill. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, Untreated and just sort of, yeah, un, yeah. yeah. because he was, and I mean, he's, he's also mentally volatile. ill, volatile, but he's mentally ill in a very, like, socially acceptable way. Like you yes. say, like, he's very brazen, he's very yes. brash, he's very, diff, you know, loud, but but he's not overtly 
a, not that you know he's I don't, I don't know how to better explain it than that right. but he sort of seems to slip through the cracks in a very kind of but in public yes. kind of way he's all over the place and yes. you know it, this is the period of, in history of, of you know Kellogg and, and health spas and, and people are kind of off doing weird things anyway <laughs> right yeah so this guy who was part of the United Col- Colony as I say like wouldn't have been all that unusual but right. he was obviously like he needed help in a very real way yes and it's you know he didn't get it. <laughs> he never, ever no, got it. No, he did not. Yeah. And then we go into the lovely, we're on page 71 now. This is great. We have the same book. Um, <laughs> the scene between Sarah Jane Moore, squeeze from, and Gerald Ford. And Gerald Ford. I <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can't even believe. There's a scene in a musical, in an American musical, right. between... Sarah Jane Moore, well, Squeaky from and this President is, yeah, Gerald Ford. This, this is where I get worried about um, how Sarah Jane Moore is Oh, okay. Um, because I, you know, aside from her not, I mean, we just don't know that much about her. And yeah. so, you know, this sort of bumbling woman who's going to kill her dog on the way to the assassination and right. her son is there and... And Which is so sad. That bro- I mean, I remember just, that breaking my heart. Like when I saw it in high school, this idea that her son is there, and you're just you're just sort of like, and oh god, and that she's just not paying attention to the kid, and that it that she's just all over the place, and that she can't keep track of anything, and yeah, and I just don't. I mean, I don't know enough about her to know whether that's even remotely an accurate portrayal. Yeah, and it's I of think who it, she is, and and so that's what. Yeah, sort of. It does feel wrong. It feels it feels bad. It feels exploitative. Yes, exactly. And I think it comes from a lack of knowledge. I mean, I don't know if she's given interviews since, but she was sort of famously didn't talk to people right. about this at all. So there was very little known about her, other than what people said about her. And of course, you know, you know somebody, or they're your neighbor, or whatever, and. Then right. they go off and shoot at the president like that color. You start to pick details or color things or of course, whatever. Of course. So who knows like what her situation well, and deal was? You know, the person, the perpetrator is always the nicest kid who lived in the next door. Well, right, yeah. And and who knew that the, he had them in that in him? And yeah. Who knew she had that in her? And and but it just is. It's it's so over the top. Yeah. Stumbly. Mm-hmm. And inept mm-hmm. um, that someone that inept I don't know would have enough um, togetherness to be able to even get to the point where get she to the was point there where she, got, yeah. where she was there with a gun yeah it is a you know and yeah. so it's um, oddly it, it, it's, it's odd it's, it's odd. just odd it's a very I mean it's a scene that is played purely for laughs absolutely I think the decision is made to play the scene purely for last because it's going to get super dark here in a second. So let's yeah. like, and we've just hung a guy. Yes. So like, let's, yeah. so let's, let's take a moment and we can all laugh at this thing that a lot of the audience will remember. Right. We'll have Chevy Chase play the president, you know, that sort of he trip. Right. I mean, the entrance is he walks on stage and trips. I mean, and, right. and what's funny is I remember seeing this and everybody instantly knew who it was. I mean, yes. it was this moment of like this audience in 1994 instantly recognized instantly that this that, is Gerald that's Ford. Gerald Ford. And yes. I didn't, but like, but everyone yes. around me did. And yes. it was, so, you know, it works in that, in that kind of capacity. But I feel it, it, yes. it, it like you say, it shorten it, it it diminishes one of the assassins a little bit, and it's unfortunate that it's this one 
th- that it's one of the two female characters. Like if you're going to go that way, right. you know, obviously you right. have to like it's Gerald Ford. She shot at Gerald Ford. Like that's where we have to go. But you're right. She is just kind of wacky. I mean, that's her sort of overarching. That's her thing. I mean, yeah. she's never. We never see her. You're like amazed her... she dressed herself. She's so wacky. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we never see her do anything without being inept. Right. She's inept at everything. Right. And if she's an inept at everything, she doesn't make it somewhere with a gun to kill the president. Right. It doesn't Like, quite... it just doesn't. Com... It doesn't track. Yeah. It, no. No. And that's, you know, my logic brain puzzle. Right. And I think it is just, I mean, it is probably the fact that they knew, the the least is known about her, especially why she did, she is the one. That we don't know why. There's no reason. Like, there seems to be literally no reason why she did this. And so, and and the show does bear that out. The show doesn't give her a reason. Right. At all. It it just sort of gives you what they know about her and then decides to make her bumbling. I would have really loved to have seen Deborah Monk play this. Me because there, too. if there is an actress, I think who could pull that off in the yes. sort of like to give her some yes. humanity, it would have been Deborah Monk, who is who's just wonderful um, as a performer. Kind of full stop, and uh, yeah. But then we go from here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, we're gonna get dark with it now, because because here we go into what I mean. Well, first we have first Sam, we have Sam, Sam Beck's Beck again. second monologue, yes, right. which is him driving. Um, his Driving car, to the airport. Right, to commit to his get, crime. To commit his crime and talking to Dick to Nixon. To Dick Nixon and uh, screaming. I mean, has the great line. They got a huge laugh in the in the house when I saw it and didn't, like, again, I didn't get this joke at the time where he throws the hamburger out the window, car honks at him, and he says, don't blame me, I'm from Massachusetts, which is just, <laughs> right. for our younger members of the audience, President Nixon uh, won 49 states in his re-election campaign <laughs> except for Massachusetts. And when things went wrong for him, there was a bumper sticker that said, don't blame me, I'm, I'm from, from Massachusetts. Massachusetts. <laughs> um, yeah. So something we might see echoed in the future here. It is, uh, yeah. I mean, it is, it, this, is, this is not a funny monologue at no, all. No, that's at That's all. the last joke in this monologue. He's, yes. He is screaming from this, like, it's only, it's a page, two pages, really. And he's screaming the whole time about some very real... I mean, it's kind of funny, kind of stream of consciousness anger, but it is he raises some salient issues of the day. Yes. Yeah. And, yes. Uh, well, and it's interesting, Echoes. The Democrat says he'll fix everything the Republicans f***ed up. The Republican says he'll fix everything the Democrats f***ed up. Who's telling us the truth? Who's mm-hmm. lying? Someone's lying. Who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's you know, all and how 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 can we possibly know who's lying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's a screaming it's a screaming angry monologue which goes right into what is a st- what feels like I remember listening to this recording feels like the finale. It does. Is is the song another national anthem? It does. Where the other national anthem folks the ones that can't get in to the ballpark. I think there's some um, deliberateness to that mm-hmm. um, in that this is um, the only person who's left mm-hmm. is Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. And so are we going to get through this whole thing without saying or talking about him? Yeah. Um, and um, but sort of sums up the the anger that's coming from mm-hmm. from their side of things. Yeah, and it is this moment of you know, the balladeer kind of comes out and ref- like they all come out and say why they did what they did. Where's my 
because she wouldn't take my phone call. What about my phone? Because nothing's stopping the fire. I want my phone. Nobody would listen. You did mean a nickel. You just shed a little blood, and a lot of people shed a lot of tears. Yes, you made a little moment, and you stirred a little mud, but it didn't. Fix the stomach, and you've drunk your final bud, and it didn't help the workers, and it didn't heal the country, and it didn't make them listen, and they never said we're sorry. And, and it never this mattered. Is, yeah. This is, you know, now we're gonna take our turn. Yeah, and it's nihilistic. I mean, it, it ends in oh, this period absolutely. of absolute nihilism, and and which then they they push the balladeer off the stage and sort of right. scream their another national anthem song and which drifts us lazily into and the long book scene on this on, CD, on the CD. Uh, yes. which is uh, and on the tape uh, called November 22nd, 1963. If I shouldn't kill myself, then what should I do? Go home? Beg her to take me back? Plead with her? Beat her up? You tried all that. It doesn't work. I know it doesn't work, so tell me what I should do. You should kill the president of the United States. What? His plane landed at the airport 15 minutes ago. He's coming into town to make a speech. His motorcade is going to go right past this window. When it does, you shoot him. You're nuts. Maybe I am. So what? I didn't come here to shoot the president. He didn't come here to get shot. And here we are at, at the Texas Buck Depository on the, on the sixth floor with, uh, with Lee Harvey Oswald and yes. John Wilkes Booth. And it's this long long scene it's a really long scene. very long scene and and i remember when i first got this um being utterly shocked that this whole scene was on the on the recording Mm -hmm. it it makes perfect sense because it is the thing that sort of helps us understand the whole arc of the show um in a way that i don't know if you were just listening to the other pieces you would really understand without having it all tied together I mean, way. yeah, if you did it, I mean, they get away with it in a lot of ways. One, because there's so few songs. I mean, the recording's right. so short, so right. it doesn't really make, like, you have right. plenty of time. Um, but, it, I mean, if you did it in the kind of more traditional way of going right from another national anthem to the I envy you, we're your family, right. you wouldn't, you wouldn't with maybe a really little dialogue for it. You wouldn't really understand no, what's happened. No, it doesn't, it, yeah. do, it wouldn't make any sense. It, it is a... Yeah. It, I mean, it, and it's the the leap from uh, from cast album as collection of songs to piece of piece of theater in its own right. Right. To me, where you have to make that. T- and I think another reason we talked about Paul Scanlon and I talked about this with Mary Lee. We roll along was I'm sure part of it was J. David Sachs who produced this, being like, "Listen, this show may never be produced again. Right. Right. <laughs> so we should really we like should make a really document make of this. <laughs> right. right. Which is funny because the 2004 Broadway recording has way more dialogue on it. I mean, the bar scenes on there. Oh, really? Um, See, there's I've a never couple, listened to that one. There's a couple other scenes and like a couple of, of Sam Bick's monologues make it on there. I mean, again, because oh it's very short. There's very few yes. songs. Yeah. So there's a lot more book on that recording. Oh, interesting. Um, and I don't I don't enjoy it as much. I think as a result, I find that I, when I listen to that recording, I just cut all those moments. I just have a playlist and I just cut all Call those out, out and I just go right. for the songs because that's what I want to listen to. Um, but this is th- in this recording. It's crucial. I think it's absolutely crucial that these book scenes that that scene is there, yes. and it is really the only book scene I believe. I keep looking at the back. Well, of there's, this, there's there's a um, there's a little piece. Uh, I mean, the intro to Ballad of Booth is there. Yeah, that's true. There's the scene in the middle of Ballad of Booth. That's right. Well, but there's also the scene, the little piece of scene lit 
before Ballad of Booth starts mm-hmm. that is also on there. Right. Um, and then the sort of interstitial stuff that happens within songs all the way through. Right. Um, but this is the fir- the only full out because the whole track is, I was about to say, like, it, it goes into a song, but it actually doesn't. The song doesn't start till the next track, till right. track nine, with the final sequence of You Can Close the New York Stock Exchange. I envy you. We're your family. I admire you. I respect you. Make us I proud of you. We're your family. We're depending on you. We're your family. Make them listen to us. We've been waiting for you. Make them listen, boy. Before that, it is all, there's some music underneath it, but it is all text where, I mean, in this really interesting leap, Weidman puts Oswald at the center of all things past and future. Yes. In a really like, and yes. this, and the and Booth overtly, I mean, it all comes down to you. Yes. You are the one who's going to sum it all up and blow, blow it, all it all wide, wide open. open. Right. And it's a fascinating, I wonder if this show had been written by someone my age, for example, like it wouldn't be structured around the well, Kennedy assassination. I, 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 I mean, one of the things um, that I mean, I read about what what Weidman said. How could one inconsequential, angry little man cause such a universal grief and anguish? And more importantly, why would he? Mm-hmm. And that was his impetus into writing the show mm-hmm. and that the reason that Lee Harvey Oswald is only seen at the end and is the catalyst that breaks it all wide open is because for him that's the end mm-hmm. and the and the trying to figure all of the work on figuring out who these people are was done to figure out why somebody would do this mm-hmm. and why this how this can happen. Yeah. How and this it, can happen. But it's funny that his answer seems to be with Oswald that he's goaded on I mean his his reasons are sort of connected to all it's sort of a culmination of all the assassins' reasons. There's a little politics, there's a right. little oh poor me, there's right. a little no one like no one respects me. There's right. a little there's a little it's kind of got a dash of all of that. There's a little mental illness, there's a little wanting to make any kind of statement, good or bad. It's all kind of in there. And I also think it's very intelligent because the Kennedy assassination comes with so much other baggage. Yes. And so much other media bag. I mean, the same year this musical came out, the movie JFK came out. Right. And it is this, like, very real, like, this This is a, a, a show unto itself. This is an idea unto itself. Lots of movies about this, books, theories, all this. And Weidman, very cleverly, by throwing it at the end, avoids any of that. Well, yeah, and yeah. it's and it's very interesting. One of the um, the other thing that Sondheim has said is that there is a draft that starts and ends in the Texas Book Depository, mm-hmm. which you could very easily and do. That, and that um, I think it was Jerry Zachs who said to him, "No, no, no, don't." Yeah, don't tease it. Don't do that. Yeah. You know, like you you want it to only come at the end. Yeah, and I think he's absolutely um, right. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I think they all agreed with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, once once it, it was, when it creates this nice bookend because you had like we say we have nine assassins 
only four are successful. And the two we remember the are most. Booth and Oswald. And so we right. start with Booth and we end with Oswald. And right. it makes a lot of sense. It makes absolute right. dramatic structure sense. I mean, it's funny. It's so funny to me that John Weidman and Stephen Sondheim wrote three shows together. And I think they the more abstract they are, the more successful they are. Yes. So Assassin's very abstract yes. and fascinating. Yes. Pacific Overtures, a little more linear, but still has moments of extreme, extreme abstract. extraction. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, yep. from like Please Hello to the rickshaw scene at late in Act Two, all these sort of like, and the lion's dance. I mean, there's all this stuff that just sort of happens. And Roadshow is a linear story about two people in history, and it never really works, in my right. opinion. I, it just right. never really comes together. And I think... The thing missing from it are these like, – Weidman has an amazing mind for structure. Yes. And I don't think he ever yes. got his head around the Meisners in the way he did around the other two topics. I think you're right. Yeah. It feels – I think you're right. Because this is so inexplicable. Like I don't know anyone else who would write this show and write it this way. Right. A- except that it does exactly what that quote says it yeah. does mm-hmm. and is exploring, you know, how, how is it that – and oh, it's in, the, inconsequential, angry little man yeah. well, can, as, can cause this as, and, and why. And Booth quotes, I mean, anachronistically, right. but quotes the mass of men right. lead right. lives of quiet desperation, but not in here. And it right. is that other side of that coin of like, yeah, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation, but like nine did not. And but right. they're but what makes right. the, you know, what what it, it's the, and there's that thing of like, why would they? Why well, would they and do it? Yeah. Who killed Julius Caesar? I am not a murderer. Who said you were? You just said I should kill the president. Lee, when you kill a president, it isn't murder. Murder is a tawdry little crime. It's born of greed or lust or liquor. Adulterers and shopkeepers get murdered. But when a president gets killed, when Julius Caesar got killed, he was assassinated. And the man who did it... Brutus. Ah, you know his name? Brutus assassinated Caesar, what, 2,000 years ago? And he is a high school dropout with a dollar twenty-five an hour job in Dallas, Texas, who knows who he was. And they say fame is fleeting. And the idea of a Kennedy conspiracy yes. being a com- conspiracy of assassins. Right. Uh, you know. Yeah. Um, that... <laughs> You know, it's it's all. You really, can't think about it too long because it, it just it, it hurts a little bit. No, it's fantastic. But it's great. It's great. It's but I feel like the more. But I, that's the thing know. is the show. I think one of the reasons, another reason, people kind of distance themselves from the show, is that it 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 doesn't. It's not happening in linear time. It's not happening in the reality of history. Yes. And these events are so concrete and so historically locked, and. Like the booth, the the Kennedy assassination and the Lincoln assassination around, I mean, the ripples that went out from those acts, like they're very concrete. If you watch Doctor Who, they always talk about these, like certain times are fixed and certain times are in flux. And like, that's why I feel like these two times are fixed Fixed. moments in history. Yeah. You can't, you can't screw with them. They, They did so much. And it's funny to... Not with the Lincoln one, but with the Kennedy one, really screw with it yes. in a very theatrical way. Yes. And I find I, I would imagine yes. a lot of the audience found upsetting and just shut it down because yes. there's a lot happening in that scene when all the assassins are revealed. Some of, I mean, from future. I mean, that's the weird thing. That's yes. when it gets weird. Is, you know, yes. And you say, as we talked about a little bit earlier, Hinckley's connection with Oswald. Yes. Yes. Which is that they find every book ever written about him. Yeah. 
in Hinckley's room when they go to search it. Um, and of course, in the show, the response answers. is yes for Zonagon. Oh my God, that's so squirmy. <laughs> you know? John, when Lee was eight, he had a dog. What was its name? Tex. The Marine sent him to radar school where? The Naval Air Station, Jacksonville, Florida. The KGB official who debriefed him in the Kremlin. What was his name and rank? Lieutenant Colonel Borth Kutsov. Lee, 18 years from now, when John tries to assassinate President Reagan, they're going to search his room. And you know what they're going to find? Every book about you ever written. Can I have your autograph? It's Which, if you don't know, I mean, it's squirmy enough on the recording. But if you're seeing the show yes. and the whole his whole earlier scene revolves around an autograph, like yes. I mean, that like, yes. and then he doesn't get it. I mean, of course, if this yes. like sort of sadly comedic moment of him like, can I have your autograph? And then like, nah, and, like they open and, the, and the they open the, the window windows, and yeah, right. oh my yeah. god, yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a it's a it's a fascinating piece of writing, and it's. Um, I think it's one of my favorite moments of the show is is this whole sequence um is, yeah, is how would... it all ties itself together. Yeah. Um and of course, you know, in 2004 when you have Neil Patrick Harris standing there in a white t-shirt and right. the Bruder film plays on his t-shirt. Right. You know, that was a moment in a show that I know very well that took my breath away. Yeah. Um uh Yeah. I mean it's and then we close with on the CD, have the and and the show closes with the reprise of "Everybody's Got the Right." Everybody's got the right to be different. If you want to be, even though at times they go to extremes, go to extremes. Anybody can prevail. Everybody's free to fail. No one can be put in jail for their um, without the proprietor. I mean, he's usually on stage right. during this number, but it is very interesting that he's, this sort of dark motivational force has been removed from the right. the music. And right, he, right. And of course, ending with a gunshot. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Though it is this, so, I, I'll tell you what, there's another show connection here. I mean, we've talked about, you know, Follies, or excuse me, com- we've talked about company, we've talked about um, references also uh, to... To into, the, into the woods as throughout, but there's also this weird Sunday in the Park with George link, where the lyrics at the end are free country means you get to connect. That's it means a right to expect that you'll have an effect that you're gonna connect. Connect, connect, connect. Oh, which is a big thing right. that George says in both acts is connect, George, connect, and. Right. It is that weird. I mean, it just it just tweaks my brain. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it happened. I don't know what I don't. I don't know what to make of it. But it is this funny thing that they say you have the right to expect that you're going to connect. Right. And they say connect three times. It is like yes. it's obviously yes. like that is important to connect with something. Yes. So, I mean, yeah. God, Karen, you know how to pick them. It's just. I, I mean, I, you know, I I think uh, to me it's certainly my favorite song time, um, and it. Uh, I keep coming back to it. And I, like, I haven't, I don't listen to it a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly, I have a cassette. Right. So I don't listen to it a lot. <laughs> do you not have it, like, um, um, No, I do. Okay, I do. Good I, ha- to say, I have it electronically as well. But, but. I'll buy it, the MP3s if you want. Like, not... <laughs> but that was a recent purchase. Right. Um, um, but it's one of those things that I do, it does, like, when I, when I hear your podcast about Sondheim shows, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I gotta go back and listen to Assassins again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's, 
you know, um, yeah. it's one of those things that I do keep returning to um, because it it hits all my mm-hmm. hits all the things I love. So um, it's it's interesting. It is. It's I mean, interesting. It's, 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 it's I'm so intrigued by it. It's inexplicable almost like it's a, to me that it exists, period. <laughs> and then be that it's amazing. It, right. it, that it works. It's, right. it's incredible to right. me that this is well. Something. And when I went to um, when I went to look for this program to figure out where else I mm-hmm. had seen this show, right. um, and I pulled it out and realized, I mean, I was I was in Cincinnati in mm-hmm. 1992 and 93. Um, Miami University is not in Cincinnati, right? <laughs> um, so clearly, I traveled to see to, this show. Yeah. So I went through the program to see maybe I knew somebody. Was that no? I think I just you just went needed to see the show. Yeah. Um, I mean, I may have known somebody who worked on it whose name isn't right. triggered for me anymore exactly, yeah. because it's been so long. Or but... somebody else saw it and said, you have to go see it or something. Right, yeah, right. absolutely. And you're like, oh, I know that show. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but um, I had not specifically remembered that I, in fact, my notes from early on mm-hmm. say 2004 was the first time I saw it. Yeah. I mean, so it's... It's... Um... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is... Uh, the things I wrestle with in this show... It's my second favorite Sondheim show. I'll say after Sunday in the Park with George. But it is okay. a – it was my first. Understandable. It was my first Sondheim show. And you never forget your first. But it is also – I mean, it is that thing of like this was the show that made that really – that made me a music theater fan with a capital MTF because it, it if you can write a musical – About this. About this. You can yeah. write a musical about anything quite literally. And it's mm-hmm. something we forget often – you can tell a story about anything as long as you approach it. I think from that, like you say, that single-minded, as long as you know where you're going, like as long as you know what you're doing. Yes, yes. And I think that that there's so many people who write this show off because of its subject matter. Right. And don't even want to engage to understand that it is really doing exactly the opposite of what your initial reaction is. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but it is also, I mean, it does come at the audience in a very direct way, aside from like directly pointing guns at them. It comes at the audience about this idea of celebrity attention, yes. remembrance. Yes. Like, it, it really doesn't let the audience off the hook either, which is responsible storytelling. Right. But also uncomfortable storytelling for a yes. bunch of people who just spent, you know, $150 to go see a show. Like right. it's. So I do understand not everybody has to like everything and I do un- this is not a show for everybody by no, any sense of the imagination. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But it is an incredible piece of theater in yes. in a very, you know, and in a way that is underappreciated I think because of the subject it tackles. I agree. Not only does it show the genius of what Sondheim can do on his own, but then to be able to pull the way he's structured using Hail to the Chief, the way he's using mm-hmm. El Capitan, the way he's using the Washington Post, the way he's using musical, historical musical motifs um, uh, and tweaking them to fit what they're trying to do um, is another really fascinating piece yeah. of it to me um, um, in that um, I did see – I watched a YouTube thing last week where it was um, clearly done – Probably fairly contemporaneously with, mm. you know, you can tell from production values sure. that it was done a long time ago. Um, but it was Sondheim sitting at a piano playing through um, pieces and talking about the structure musically. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, 
of course, there was, you know, a piece on the opening number and a piece on another national anthem. And that's all you can find on YouTube. Everything else is gone. Yeah, it's, you know, it's probably the MTI video. Is that what you saw? Probably. Yeah. Because the, um, there's one for Into the Woods, too. Um where you can used to be able to get these videotapes when you license the show, where the where the authors would sit and explain ah, their motivations okay. behind it, so that okay. you could stage it sort of with their yes. assistance. There's one for Into the Woods, there's one for Assassins. That might be it for Sondheim's. I could be wrong, but those are the ones I've seen. Well, yeah. it, was, it was really but yeah, fascinating. But it's the same thing of him sitting, yeah, at, the piano. sitting yeah. at the piano and 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 talking through things and talking really talking about the structure of how Hail to the Chief was used and when it was slowed down and when it was speeded up and mm. when it was, you know, um, uh, that, that that singularly is the motif that is repeated through the show mm-hmm. um, in a way that nothing else is. Um, and that that felt very appropriate to them. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's music associated with an office. It, yes. it, it's, it's specifically associated with no matter who the person is. Like, that right. is played only in certain times. So, right. Yeah. It's a character. I mean, it's a character it's motif. It's a character. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In, in a very... Well, it allows the president mm-hmm. to be a single character. Right. You know, even though exactly. we see a couple of them, mm-hmm. you know, what we're what we're what we're registering is the president. Yes. As a concept, yes. more than yes, as a as a yes. person. Karen, this was awesome. Uh, <laughs> this was absolutely awesome. We've been talking for like two straight hours. Oh my god! Um, I can't I, believe I am, it. Well, this was wonderful. It was great. Thanks Thank so you much so for much coming. for having me. Thank you for picking this show, which is just this is I you know God, I love it. I every love it time so I much. saw a new episode come up, I thought, please don't let it be a sentence. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. This episode was recorded at the Media Production Center at American University. Special thanks to Jeffrey Madison, Tom Fish, and Imani Mular. If you like the original cast, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. It's the easiest way to make sure other people find the show. The original cast is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on Twitter at UnknownPenguin. My thanks to Karen Curry for coming down and talking to me today. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. (laughs) 